Jesus said, I'm gonna build my church and hell is not going to be able to prevail over it. But hell seems to prevail all the time. Sometimes the oppression feels so thick we can't breathe and we get angry at God because we think somehow he's not keeping his promises to us. This is Live Empowered with author and speaker Kelly Lotta, a podcast to help you find authentic faith in Jesus. Here's Kelly. We're going to begin today in Ezekiel 37. So if you have your scriptures and, and want to turn there, um, we're going to be looking at Ezekiel's encounter with God in the Valley of Dry Bones. It may be a familiar passage to you, maybe not, but it is a passage about the people of God rising in the power of God to become the conquering army of God. And this is what the cross actually poured out for us. I think God's timing is perfect and stirring this message up in my heart this week as we're preparing to enter into Easter season, the celebration of the cross of Christ, that resurrection power that poured out. It's what made this possible. So I'm asking God to open our eyes and our hearts today about how we step into that promise, how we live that promise, because I think a lot of times we feel very much like the dry bones laying in the valley, but that is not who we are. And so we need to figure out how to move from the oppression that we have been under into the victory that Jesus poured out. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning, Ezekiel 37. We're going to start reading in verse 1. Ezekiel is speaking, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? That is the question before us this morning. But we see a very personal God engaging with man and very concerned over our condition. He is not a distant God who does not care. He's concerned. And so in this vision, he takes Ezekiel, sets him down in this place, and he takes his time walking among the fallen caring about them, loving them. He wants Ezekiel aware to see them. And I think so often, maybe we can relate to this. We get so caught up in our own pain, in our own deadness, that we don't even notice the pain in the others around us. And God wants us to see. He takes his time pointing it out to Ezekiel. And then he asks that impossible question, son of man, can these bones live? And he answers God saying, oh Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord." God is declaring his intention in the situation, and he invites Ezekiel to join him in it, to enter into it with him. And so Ezekiel does, verse 7, I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I want to just pause here for a moment because this is so important for us to understand. We cannot miss this. We see here, God spoke his desires into the atmosphere. 
He declared his will. This is what I want to do. And nothing happened. Nothing happened. Their condition did not change until Ezekiel, a son of man, took hold of God's words himself and spoke them also. He became the human voice of God's voice on this earth, and he spoke God's desires out, speaking into their situation. And as he did, the power of God fell. And this is how God moves on earth, through our agreement with him. He set it up that way when he gave us dominion. We keep thinking, why isn't God doing something? God moves through people. He moves through people. He gave us dominion. We need to understand what an honor that is. All of creation moves at his command. Let there be light and light responds, right? Everything that God speaks, everything on earth responds automatically. Daniel's in a lion's dead. God, God shuts the mouths of the lion and says, you may not devour, and it doesn't. But with humanity, to us, he gave choice. He says, I'm not going to make you. I'm going to honor you by giving you choice. He will not force his will on us. And he will never violate our free will to choose. That's what love does. It's how God moves. That's honor. He engages with us through invitation, never force. The enemy pushes his way in. God invites he wants his people living in intimacy with him, discerning his heart about a situation, receiving his word, and then aligning themselves with it in faith. And that's when we will see God move. And that's exactly what Ezekiel does here. The moment that Ezekiel spoke God's words, not his own words, he had to discern what is God doing? What does he want to do? He takes hold of what God has spoken. And the moment he speaks it over the people, behold, a rattling and the bones began to move. This is what the world is desperate for. This is what we need. People do not need us. They need God moving through us. They need Jesus. And that's what the cross poured out to us. God moves through us as we engage with him as we hear and respond in faith, as Ezekiel does. And so we see, we hear this rattling. The bones begin to come together. And verse 8, Ezekiel says, And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. He sees evidence of life, miraculous power. Something has changed. God has touched them, but something is lacking. There is still no breath. And I, I just, again, want to pause here because I think many of us get stuck at this point. We felt the touch of God. We know that something has occurred. Something has come alive in me. Something's changed. I know I have experienced the miraculous power of God, but that we just can't seem to enter into the abundance. We just can't seem to get into the promises that we hear about here. We're told in this word that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. But we don't live like overcomers. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and hell is not going to be able to prevail over it. But hell seems to prevail all the time. We see it all over the place. Sometimes the oppression feels so thick we can't breathe. And we get angry at God because we think somehow he's not keeping his promises to us. 
But I want to just pose the question, what if we've settled for a partial miracle, we've not pressed in for the rest, and God is waiting for us to press in and get to the fulfillment of it, where we can then operate in the fullness of his power, and he moves as he promises to. What if we've been stuck in that partial promise? There's evidence of life, but there's no breath. There's no power filling us, moving us. We're just struggling in our own strength. We haven't caught the wind of the Spirit and allowed it to change us, heal us fully, restore us. We're saved. We're alive now. But falling short of being filled and empowered by the breath of God. And this is what he wants to usher us into. This is the promise that he is holding out to us. And he answers it when he says to Ezekiel in verse 9, he says, Then he said to me, now I want you to prophesy to the breath. Again, invites Ezekiel into it. He doesn't move without Ezekiel cooperating and do what and doing what he commands him to do. And he says, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. This is the moment that the army rises, this, when they are come and they are filled with the breath of God. This is the church that Jesus foretold that hell cannot prevail over, not just possessing the spirit of God, but filled and moving in the spirit because they have caught the breath. The breath of God has blown through the mouth of Ezekiel and stirred up something else in the hearts that have caught the wind and brought them alive. This is what God is after. This is the victorious position that, we will, that he wants us operating from. And then in verse 11, it says, Then he said to me, God continues to speak, this miraculous power has been poured out. The army rises to their feet, and God says to him, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. He says, these bones are my people. These are the ones that belong to me. These aren't the lost that he's talking about. These are mine, and they've been convinced to be living as dead bones in the wilderness when I have made them an army. And then he says, behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Do you notice that? The miracle has happened. And then God says, then he said to me, then after this has taken place, and he says, these people are saying to me, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. They still see themselves as the dry bones. It's taken place, but they have not received it. Their words about themselves don't agree with God's words over them. And so they don't experience the reality of the miracle that God has done for them. This is where we are. The miracle has happened. We just sung about it. The victory has taken place. It is done. We are not working towards something. We are working from something. But we have got to take hold of and believe in our hearts the truth of what has happened. And the problem is we still keep seeing ourselves as the dry bones when God says, that is not who you are. I have covered you. I have filled you. I have made you an army. I have made you strong. And I myself am in you. 
And he says, at the end of this, you shall know that I am the Lord through all of this. He says, these people do not know who they are. And again, he says, prophesy to them. Therefore, prophesy to them in verse 12. And behold, I will open your graves and I will raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and I raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Notice he's talking about I'm going to bring you from someplace and I'm going to position you someplace else. I have a land apportioned for you that I want to bring you to. And he says, then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken it. He says in Jeremiah, I am watching over my word to perform it. What I speak, I will bring about the power and the work to complete it. This is what God wants to do, but he is looking for willing vessels, people with a heart like Ezekiel that will take hold of that word and be willing to step into agreement with that word and be willing to see the broken around them and speak his words of life into them so that they may rise into the fullness of who they are. I want you to notice in verse nine that he says, when God says, prophesy to the breath and breathe on these slain, this did not happen by accident. Life was taken from them. It was intentional. They didn't just happen to end up dry. There was an assault coming against them that caused them to be in that place. I looked up that word slain, and it means to smite with deadly intent. This is a malicious attack by the enemy to slay the people of God, to come after us specifically, God's own. He comes after us. He's taking the lives of the people who can defeat him. He does not want to see the army rise against the risen army, against the people walking in who Christ made them to be. He is nothing. He is nothing. So he has got to do all he can to convince the people of God that they are less than who they are so that they will not rise against him. He is taking the lives of those who can defeat him. If not physically, then emotionally and spiritually, literally crushing the life out of us crushing the life out of us so that we will not rise. And so I just want to transition this time into looking at the enemy's strategy to defeat us because he, he is purposeful in what he does. There is strategy. 2 Timothy 2.26 tells us that he ensnares and takes people captive to do his will. He has schemes. He is meticulous. He doesn't just stumble into victory. He is planning. He is moving. So much of what we are seeing in the earth right now is schemes of the enemy, that has seeds that have been planted that are coming to pass. And if we do not recognize it and if we do not stand against it, it will continue to grow. We have the authority and the power to stand up against it and say no. And when we do, and when we know who we are, the enemy will not be able to stand in the face of the breath of God blowing through his people. He cannot. He cannot do it. So I want us to look at a passage in 1 Kings chapter 21. And we're going to just draw some parallels of how the enemy purposefully comes to take what belongs to the people of God 
And if he cannot take what belongs to them, he wants to destroy them so that they cannot stand. 1 Kings chapter 21, going to start reading in verse 1. This is a story of a man named Naboth and his vineyard. Now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Now Ahab is the king of Israel at this time and the palace is in Samaria, which is why they define it that way. God tells us some things about this king in verse 25. It says, there was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like this man the worst king of Israel. And it tells us that Jezebel, his wife, incited this evil. There was a movement behind it that drew him into doing things that were ungodly as a man of God. And this is what we need to understand. The enemy is still doing it. It, it, it was Jezebel's influence that motivated this king's decisions. And we need to understand that the woman is not the issue as much as the spirits that are influencing her. Scripture tells us in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is not against the people. Our struggle is against the principalities, the rulers, spiritual forces of evil that are pulling their strings and manipulating them to do his will. So this is what we're looking at. We're not looking at a woman Jezebel. We are looking at the movement of the enemy behind her. We can, we can understand what the spirit is that we're operating against by what it does. Whether it's a spirit of fear or anxiety or judgment, we can tell what it is by how it moves. And so we're, we're going to be looking at how it is moving through um, Jezebel and Ahab. So getting into the story, verse two. So after this, Ahab said to Naboth, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near to my house and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value and money. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him, for he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. I'm gonna pause for a minute here and just look at this. Naboth is a devout follower of God, guarding the inheritance that the Lord has given him. That's his answer in response. The Lord forbid that I give you my inheritance. This is my allotment. This was what was apportioned to me and my family. And this is what I need to guard and hold. And what the enemy wants to do is get us to exchange what God has given for something else. Because the breath of God blows and moves in us and through us when we are in the position that God has placed us through our agreement with his will and purposes. When we are there, we catch it. And so the enemy is always trying to get, to, get us to move out of that place. And so he dangles something in front of us. This is good. I'll give you a better one. How about money? You need cash? We'll give it to you right now. Dangles something. Seems innocent enough, right? We can look at that and just think, well, maybe this is a blessing of God. It, but we don't bother to ask him, right? And we just take what the enemy dangles in front of us, perceiving that it's something better, perceiving it's a blessing, when actually he is pulling us from the power and presence of God and keeping us living as a dry bone rather than the victor in our purpose and position. 
So we need to understand that, that the enemy is going to target those who try to honor and protect what God has given. They become targets. And I just can't help thinking of Jacob and Esau, right? As Ahab is trying to entice him to sell it for profit. Jacob and Esau in that story, and Esau exchanges his birthright for a meal. Just something in the moment, I need it right now, looks good, doesn't really think through the consequences, and ends up costing him greatly. But Naboth doesn't comply. So we see, here's this king pouting in his room, having a fit, and in comes Jezebel in verse 5. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? So he proceeds to tell her, because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, give me your vineyard for money or else, or if it please you, I'll give you another one. And he answered, I will not give you my, vi my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So here we are. The enemy is trying to shift him out of place. He can't do it. He wants to try to get us to exchange the blessing of God for a different one. And he starts by trying to get us to move willingly. But when we won't willingly give the ground, he gets more aggressive. If he can't move us, he will convince others to move against us. And this is what he does all the time. And it's exactly what we see in the next few verses. As she says, I will give you this vineyard. He's, she's like, you don't need him to give it to you. We're just going to take it. We're just going to take it. And I want you to see how she does it. Beginning in verse 8, she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people and set two worthless men opposite him and let them bring a charge against him saying, you have cursed God and the king and take him out and stone him to death. So this is her plan. This is her plan. And again, we're drawing parallels to how the enemy works in that day and continues to work here. The enemy operates in false authority. He has no legitimate authority over God's people. It's false. It's a deception. The same way that Jezebel did, she had no authority to write those letters. She took her husband's seal and stamped it on it. She took his, assuming authority that was not hers. So she pretends that she has the authority to command, right? We are told in scripture that Satan is the deceiver, the father of lives. He deceives the whole world. It's what he does. And that's what she does here. She pretends, but it only works if people agree which they do, which they do. But I want you to notice who she sends the letters to. The elders and the leaders of the city. The elders and the leaders. Now again, this is Israel. This is God's people. And she targets the leadership, the ones who should be protecting and advocating for Naboth. These are the ones that she sets her sights on to turn against him. If I can get in the house, if I can get in the leadership and I can turn them on each other, the ones that are supposed to be advocating for him, I will turn against him. This is what she does. And she says in verse 9, proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the table. So this looks like honor, right? We're going to give him a, we're going to sit him at the head of the table. But what does she do? She uses a fast 
Our enemy will use religion and twist the righteous into agreement with evil purposes. The spirit of religion. We can't just go after his his character, right? So let's proclaim a fast. Let's use something religious so that it appears righteous. And it looks like God is in it and he must be behind it. Over and over, the enemy does this. And look at the how in verse 10. Two worthless men to bring a charge against him. There's, there's nothing in the charge. Let's get some worthless people who will speak lies. This is a war over our words. We just looked at in Ezekiel 37 how God wants to, be, wants to speak through the mouths of his people to bring life and elevate and call out good and gold so that they can rise to be all that they're supposed to be. And here's the enemy hijacking the mouths of God's people for his own purposes. And he turns the words. Rather than being life-giving, they're life-taking. And it comes out in accusation. He uses false charges and public opinion. We'll do this publicly and we'll get the crowd on our side doesn't have to be true. We just start a whisper. We just start a whisper. We just start some people talking about it. And and we can cause unrest and cause people to start fighting and hurling things at each other. We have seen this displayed all in the last couple of years through the election with, with all that is going out. It's the enemy. He has no new tricks. He repeats himself over and over and over again. So the accusation is a sin against God. We will claim that he has sinned against God and against the king, when really he has not sinned at all, right? This is that religious spirit coming again. And the punishment is death by false judgment. By false judgment, it is not true. And so we'll see what happens in verses 11 through 16. Verse 11, and the men of his city, the elders and the leaders who lived in a city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, as it was written in the letters that she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast, and they set Naboth at the head of the table, and the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city, and they stoned him to death with stones. And then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned. He is dead. And as soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise. Take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab rose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. The men of the city did exactly as she asked, were manipulated into accusing an innocent man, And then Ahab takes possession of what belonged to Naboth. The death of the faithful, spiritual death, physical death, enables our enemy to take possession of what belongs to them. It is his goal. It is his purpose. It is what he is all about. Spiritual death and false judgments allow occupation and take over. And this is what he wants to do with the people of God. Take what is meant to be ours, 
by crushing us to death with false judgments, you're not really who God says you are. You could never be forgiven by what you did. That, that mistake that you made back there, everybody's gonna know about it. And you're never gonna be able to get away from this. All of those words that he keeps speaking over us, he wants to take from the faithful to advance his own purposes because we are the only thing that can keep him from advancing. We are the only thing that can stand against him. So we are the target of his schemes. And when I read this, my thoughts went immediately to Ezekiel 37, when God says, breathe on these slain that they may live. These slain are the people of God whose lives have been taken through false judgments. And so much of it, the enemy convincing the body of Christ to turn on itself. So instead of our words giving life, they bring about death, lies against our identity, lies against our character. And it happens as people believe the whispers of the accuser and begin to partner with his accusations, becoming the means that the enemy uses to slay the faithful. I've seen it over and over and over again. This is what happened to Jesus. We are celebrating today Palm Sunday. People shouting with joy, Hosanna, save now, Jesus saves, praising his name, having a party over the hope that they found in him. And within a week, that same crowd is shouting, crucify him, take his life. What happened within that time to alter things so dramatically, the enemy convinced religious leaders to bring false accusation to take his life did it publicly so that all of the people believed this must be what God wants. But they never bothered to ask him. They never bothered to ask. And so he goes to the cross. We need to understand that the enemy cannot destroy the church from the outside. He cannot destroy the church from the outside. Hell cannot prevail over the church operating and living as God designed her to be cannot do it, so he must wreak havoc from within and turn the body against itself. It is the only way that he can continue to advance. And he's doing it over and over and over. He gets in our heads, he gets in our hearts, and he turns us against one another. We've got to get wise to his scheme and understand the truth. There is life and death in the tongue. There is life and death in the tongue. And Ezekiel 37 reveals God's heart. I want to invite humanity to join with me in speaking my words of life over one another. I want to cause my heart to grow up in them and cause them to see the broken as I see them. And then rather than being used of the enemy to slay and to take life, we become the vessels that give it. We become the vessels that extend that hand. Jesus said in John 6.63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. It is the words of God that bring life. When we take hold of his words and we speak them out as Ezekiel did, they carry the power to revive the soul. They heal the heart. Proverbs 16, 24 says, gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. 
health to the body. It is linked to the condition of our soul and how much we are letting the enemy trample on our hearts. Essentially, what prophecy is, as God said, prophesy to these bones. It is encouraging and building one one another up with God's words. It's actually what the gift of prophecy is. And we are all meant to have that. Yes, there's an, there are offices of prophet. This is not what we're talking about. God says, I designed all my people to hear from me and to be able to speak the words that I've hidden in their heart out in a way that will bring life to people. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1 says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. It's an interesting statement. God's command, the inspired word of the Lord, he says it starts with love. Pursue love at all costs, that's first and foremost. But a part of what you need to understand if you will walk in the fullness of life that I've extended to you, you need to pursue the gifts of my spirit. You need to be able to understand what my spirit wants to do in you. And this one is the most important learned how to prophesy. Learn how to connect with me in your heart. Learn through who I am through the reading of my word. Let my word feed your soul. Develop relationship with me in intimacy. And then when there are situations that need it, my spirit in you can draw from those words and give a portion to someone else that breathes my breath into them and gives them life. This is what God wants of his people. It's not something special for certain ones. It is for all of us. No wonder the enemy has tried to suppress this and snuff it out, though, right? And incidentally, this is what Jezebel was known for, killing the prophets of God. She wanted to silence the voice of God on the earth. This is what the enemy wants to do. It was an attempt to silence God's voice. But God tells us in his word that the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. This is what prophecy looks like. It's encouraging. It's drawing out the gold. It's being able to look with God's eyes into a heart and and call out something beautiful that God sees that they might not even be able to see in themselves. And it comes through developing intimacy with the Father and then being willing to extend yourself to someone else to give it. Verse 31 in 1 Corinthians 14 says, you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. It's in the word of God. All of you, this is my desire. This is my desire for you. Enter into intimacy with me and learn how to be my voice that speaks love and life and grace into the lives of others. Um, I just want to share with you a couple of testimonies. A few months ago, um, I was in here in worship. I was just in a time I was struggling a little bit, feeling the oppression of the enemy and kind of beaten down. Was at the, um, we were, were getting ready to take a new step into ministry, trying to be obedient to what we sensed God calling us into. And we're just coming against some unexpected pushback that kind of surprised us um, as, as it was coming. And just wrestling that through with the Lord, um, you know, the enemy starts to stir up doubt. Did I really hear from you? <laughs> is this what I'm supposed to be doing? You know, when, when this opposition is coming. And I remember one day, 
so precious to me. I was in worship, and this precious woman of God, after the, surface, after the service, comes up to me and just says, can I speak to you for a moment? And I said, sure. And she said, I just wanted to tell you in worship, I was praying for you. And she said, God showed me a vision of you. And I saw you standing in a room with white walls. And as I watched, the walls began to fill with black graffiti, negative words. She said it was heavy. The atmosphere got heavy. Some of those were things that people have said about you. Some of those things were things you said about yourself. She said, I could just feel the weight of it in the room. She said, then I saw Jesus enter into the room, dressed like a janitor. And she said, I saw him go to the walls with a bucket and begin to wash the graffiti off the walls, to wash it off and restore them to white. And she said, he just wants you to know he is faithful to come behind you. And it doesn't matter what is said. When you know that you have heard, he will come behind and wash it down. And not only that, she said, he's writing his own words about you. And he's so proud of you. And then she said, and I want to write some words for you too. And she said, I just want to thank you for your teaching. I know what it cost. And she says, I just want to thank you for being willing to do that. And can I just tell you in that moment, when you're under the weight of the oppression, right? The enemy is coming. You are feeling the breath going out of you because doubt is stirring. You're trying to advance. The enemy is coming against. And in that moment, someone I did not know, not a friend of mine who knew my story, had no idea what I was struggling with had no idea the hurt that was in my heart, but she was a beautiful woman of God who knew her Jesus. And she fostered intimacy with her Jesus. And so in a moment when I needed something, she was able to receive from the Lord and then come and extend herself to me. And as human hearts connect, as the body of Christ, we are members of one another according to the word of God. We've got to stop living with this attitude that we are just separate from one another. We are members of one another, connected by the Holy Spirit. And God wants to blow his spirit through us, one heart to another. This is how we catch the breath. This is how we move. When we, when we operate in love, not judgment, encouragement, words of the Lord. And let me tell you, yeah, I can get encouragements from people occasionally, right? I can come up with a nice word to say to somebody and it makes us feel a little bit better. When it is a word from the Lord, when you know that he has come in to your situation, that he has disturbed someone else for you, that he wants you to know, I love you this much. This is who he is. This is our God. This is the one that we accuse of forsaking us. But we have not learned how to tap into the, the, the lavish grace that he wants to pour out. And he just wants us to open our eyes to that truth and begin to receive that. I want you to remember that when we read that passage about the, the Ezekiel prophesying over the bones, the very first thing that happened with the rattling is the bones began to come together. They had to connect they had to move from where they were and go to the next place. And this is how God nourishes us through our connection to one another. 
She didn't know me. She didn't have to reach out to me, but she did. She took that moment and she um, extended life. We need to understand this is the power of God's words. This is the power, the spirit of prophecy. Revelation says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We want to have testimony of power. We've got to know what God is doing. We've got to know where he has positioned us. And we have got to be willing to walk with him as Ezekiel did among the dry bones. We've got to be willing to let him open our eyes to the plight of the people that are around us. And we have to develop intimacy with him that we can hear and discern what he is speaking. We come to know him through his word. This is our foundation. And then be willing to extend ourselves as that precious woman did to me that day. I have life to offer you. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you, God, for your love poured out to us. I thank you, God, that you are not a God who forsakes, even when we have put ourselves in a situation that we are those dry bones in the valley. You still do not cast judgments upon us. You still extend yourself in love. You still come with open arms and words of life. And so, God, I just pray over this body of people today, God, I pray that eyes will see you as you truly are. The accuser of the brethren is not you. You are the God of love who invites and who speaks and who draws up and out. God, I pray that your spirit will just break out over this people, God, and that eyes would be open to see they have something because they have you. Lord, you're all we need. You're all we need. Let us open our hearts and our minds to you, God, and be the people that you died to make us, risen in you, empowered by you, filled by your love and vessels that you blow through to revive the heart of another. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your precious name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to author and speaker Kelly Lana on the Live Empowered podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this program and that it's encouraged and motivated you in your faith. We'd love to hear from you at kellylottaministries.org. Also, when you visit, you'll find a number of free resources to help you experience the lavish love, joy, and hope that God intended for us so we can overflow that into others' lives to reveal Christ, live truth, and love people.